Oh, can we give that hand clap unto the Lord? He is great and greatly to be praised. Lord, I love you, Jesus. I worship you, God. Where would I be if it wasn't for you, for your love, oh God? So undeserving, so undeserving. I give you great people honor. I, uh, we use this saying a lot with admonishing our children or warning our children, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I have the privilege of calling brother and sister Vasquez our friends and I like the look of our future. I, I like where we're headed as our church and, 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 and the company that we keep. We consider this church friends and, and though this is our first time hearing you all are a legend in Pentecost. You have a rich heritage that I don't I don't need to tell you about, but it's just such an honor for me and my family to be here with you all this weekend, and we just love the kingdom of God, we love the people of God, and we love the work of God, amen, we love what God is doing here and abroad, and I thank God for the opportunity, so I want you people to know that I, I honor you and I, I love you, I, I do not take it lightly to be asked to be here today, many great men, men much greater much more experienced and much more uh, capable than I have stood in this same pulpit and preached to you the gospel and I count an honor and a privilege to be with you we love and appreciate brother and sister Vasquez we, uh, to spend some time with their family uh, yesterday evening and we just love the fellowship and the time together I uh, what I appreciate brother, about brother Vasquez so much is uh, he, he reminds me it's okay to be me he's direct I thank God for that. I thank God for a man of God that's not worried about your feelings and walking on. He loves you, but he's going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. I thank God for men, men like that. And it reminds me it's okay to be me because that's just how I am. It's black and white and you can like it or, or not. I'm sorry. I, I hate that you don't. But I love, I love them. I love them very much. I honor my family, my wife and children here today with me. And uh, we just have had a great time being together with all of God's people and looking forward to what God is going to do in this place today. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to go with me to the book of Mark chapter 9 and verse 17. I text Brother Vasquez the last night of National Youth Convention and I was just convinced Brother Ball was going to try to preach my message and thank God he, he left it alone and he didn't. He, he used my opening text but he didn't preach, preach my message and so let's see what the Lord has for us today. Amen. Book of Mark chapter 9 and verse 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples, and that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answereth him and say, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. They brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Verse 24, And straightway the father of the child cried out with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach a message I've entitled Apostolic Agnosticism, apostolic agnosticism. Would you put down your Bibles and lift up your voices to God? Would you lift up your heart? Lord, I love you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the tremendous privilege and the honor to stand before this great church. Oh, God, before these people. Oh, God, with a rich heritage. God, I ask you that you would anoint your servant today, that you would speak through me. God, use me, Lord, for your glory, Lord Jesus. Use me, O oh God, for your glory, Lord. Lead us, God, to speak to our hearts. Let us receive your word with the gladness of heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. If you'll help me preach, would you say amen and clap your hands into the Lord. 
tremendous, tremendous, again, honor, just blown away to be asked to be here. Great-looking group of people. What a great-looking crowd. Agnosticism is the belief in the existence of God or of a deity, but not allowing that belief to alter or direct your life. It's neither faith nor disbelief. The fact is that though few people may claim to be agnostics, the overwhelming of Christianity are in fact agnostic. And I'm afraid that that includes apostolics. We believe God exists, but do we believe God enough to do something about it? Do we believe enough to ask God to do it for us? The Father in Mark 9 states exactly what many of us struggle with. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. What he really meant was, I believe you're able to cast out a devil. I just don't believe you'll do it for me. Too many of us struggle with the fact and knowing that God is able to heal the sick and to open the blind eyes to work miracles, but I just sometimes struggle with whether or not God really wants to do it for me. Can I get... Is there anybody else ever felt like I just don't know if God really wants to? I know he can do it for somebody else. But when it comes to me, I just don't know if I can step out by faith and ask God to work on my behalf. I believe there's a people that have always struggled with feeling like God. I believe. But help my unbelief. A lot of us have no problem believing God can work miracles. We all believe it. That's why we go to a church like this, we, we expect God to work. We'll, we'll cry in the prayer room, Lord, let miracles, signs, and wonders happen in the service. We quote scriptures like Mark 16 and 18, and they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And we really mean they, somebody else shall lay hands on the sick and they, somebody else shall recover. But when it comes time for us to pray or when it comes time for it to be in our family or our loved one that's in need, well, maybe I'll just hold on and see if it gets better. Maybe I'll just wait it out. Maybe I won't step out and pray for that loved one. Maybe I'm not being called or, or maybe I've come to tell somebody that's apostolic agnosticism. God has given you authority over death, hell, and the grave. We need to exercise what God has put inside of us to step out by faith. I know it's scary and I know it's intimidating sometimes but greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I just believe somebody has come here with a need from God and you think God can do it for your neighbor but you don't believe God will do it for you. Friend God has sent me by here today to tell you deliver yourself from a spirit of agnosticism and believe God will do it for you. God's a little busy right now. I don't know if I can talk to him about my problem. I'll check back at another time. You know, if I just stay home for church, a couple of services, things will get better. That problem with so-and-so will go away. My, my issue about this will remedy itself. It, it's not a big deal if I miss a few prayer meetings. It's not, a, it's not that big of a deal. You know, money's been tight lately, and, and so I'll work some overtime. God will understand. And, and what happens is our agnosticism shines through because we want to handle our problems on our own. We believe God will give somebody else a better paying job. But I'm going to do what I can do. I, I'm going I'm to work harder. I'm going to... I, I, I may have to miss some church. I may have to miss some of my prayer life and some of my spiritual life because I got to get ahead, but I have problems. Now, we'll be the first one to pray for somebody else's job situation. We'll be the first one to meet somebody else's need, but I just don't know if God can do it for me. God knows all things. I still believe. So God knows of my need, and he knows my issue. He'll take care of it. It's agnosticism. Anything short of putting your problems in God's hands is not faith. It's apostolic agnosticism. The, the, the plan of salvation does not require you to live by faith over and over and over is what we are led to believe. We're led to believe. If we, we, we have adopted the denominal world thinking sometimes we've repented, We've been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. 
and then we check the box and put it in autopilot and it'll be all right. And we want to just float through life and yes, Lord, touch that need. God, and sincerely, we want God to work in other people's lives. But we don't tap into the true potential of living a life that's separated, of dedicated. That's the reward and the benefit of living this way is that we have power with God that when we touch any one thing, when we begin to pray and ask God to move, he's attentive to our call. He's listening. I thank God for a God that has an ear that can hear. I thank God for the gift of prayer. We ought to exercise that gift. You may believe some point you have to deal with your unbelief. I don't care if you live for God for 30 minutes or 30 years. There are times in your life that you struggle with unbelief. It doesn't matter who you are. It don't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a missionary. It doesn't matter if you're Joe Saint on the pew. You will have times that you deal with unbelief. The first step is to be honest with yourself about it. You see, everybody likes to, to throw the father under the bus. But I commend him because he was the one brave enough to say, I believe, but help my unbelief. He believed God could have compassion on him. He just wasn't convinced that God would cast the devil out. He said, if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us. Just don't, don't worry about the situation, Lord, just do it out of love. But I don't know that you'll do it for me. Perhaps he'd been to the crowd and seen devils cast out in other times, maybe... Maybe he was there when Jesus had opened blind eyes. Maybe, maybe he was around and he had been exposed. And something within him said, if I can just get to Jesus. Why wasn't Jesus the first answer? Oh, he's too busy. Why did he go to the disciples? If it had been me, I just feel like I'd have gone straight to the source. But how many of us do the same thing in our own personal life? We have a problem. Well, God's just really busy. You know, he's dealing with all these people's other problems, and, and I just don't know if I can go to him. Believing is great. It is the first step in any miracle, but it is only the first step. You have to put your faith into action because faith alone won't work. I like the way the Amplified explains it in James 2 and 19. The Amplified says, you believe that God is one. You do well to believe that. How many are glad they go? To, they know that our God is one and his name is Jesus. Amen. We believe God is one and we do well to believe that. The demons also believe it. There's some of us that we ain't nothing more than just Holy Ghost devils. We, we believe that one God and that's where it stops. We believe that God is one. The devils believe that also. And they shudder and bristle in awe-filled terror, for they have seen his wrath. You know the difference in a lot of churches and the devils? We're too busy to bristle. We don't even shudder. We know God is one, and that's great. And we check that box, and we move on. But when the devils, when that crosses their mind, they, they, they remember that they were snatched up and thrown out of heaven at the speed of light. Sometimes I think maybe our, our lack of faith comes from not seeing the wrath and the power of God demonstrated. That's why I pray, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, I want to see your power at work. I want you to deal with things in my life. Rearrange my life because I want to stay humble before you. I want to keep a right heart before you. Lord, let your love and your mercy, but let your righteousness work in my life. God, direct my steps. God, order my steps. Use me, Lord. I can check my Instagram, check my Facebook. I can't, be I can't be busy praying. I can't be busy talking to God. It's too good a weather. We got to go fishing. We got things to do. I can't read my Bible. My friends want to hang out. I can't. We can find a million reasons not to give our problem to God. What would have happened if that father had had a hunting trip planned with his, with his buddies? I can't take my son to Jesus. I, I got somewhere I got to be. I, I, I can't take my... Let me tell you something. God called me to be a husband and a father before he ever called me to be a pastor. And, and this man can stop me anytime. But what good am I 
if I reach 120,000 people in Cleveland and my children go to hell, what good am I? What have I done if I allow my family? We've got to keep first things first. got to have time to take my family to God in prayer. Lord, you know what they need. Lord, you need to see these situations move in their life. Devils remember being cast out. That's why they bristle. As long as the preacher doesn't come by and say in the hallway, like Nathan the prophet, thou art the man. I, I can keep living like I'm living. See, agnosticism doesn't just affect what you ask God for. It will eventually affect your lifestyle. And just because the, the man of God doesn't call me out by name specifically, we think that, well, everything must be okay. He loves me. He's my pastor. He'd tell me if there's a problem. But you need to have a life that says, God, search my heart. Lord, speak to my pastor, but speak to me first. Give me a chance to rectify it. Lord, let me have an opportunity to seek you and to search you and to have you work in my own life. Well, as long as I go to church and feel a Holy Ghost goosebump and two-step a little bit, I, I reckon I must be okay. That's an agnostic view of God. An agnostic view that says, I believe God exists. I just don't believe enough to change my rotten, stinking carcass of flesh from my will to his will. It's a rotten view that says, I can have it my way. I can live for God my own way. I can do it my own way. Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. That ain't in your Bible. You better be doing it God's way. Lord, search me. Cleanse me. Search my heart. Lord, kill me afresh and anew. I lay my will down. I devote my life to you. Let my faith change me. I know there's legitimate reasons for most anything. So almost anything. I had a text this morning. A lady in her church is sick and going to the hospital. I understand she's not going to be at church. I don't expect her to be. If your pastor knows your situation, that, that, I'm not telling you anything different. What I want to caution us against, though, is if we're real honest with ourselves, the reasons that we come up with not to give things to God, the reasons we come up with not to put our faith into action are most times pretty weak. You see, excuses... Or like reasons to be offended. You won't have to look hard to find one. Just you, you can find any reason you want to be offended. Well, I don't like those, those, those on the platform. I feel like I should probably stay home until they go away. You can find any reason you want to be offended. Any reason. You can find any reason you want not to give your problem to God. Well, he's busy. Well, he's got a lot on him. Well, you know, I've talked to him about he He's done so much for me, so I just don't feel like I can... Ask him for anything else. That's agnostic view of God. God help us to know that in everything, we're going to go to you with our first solution. Our first prayer is always going to be, every time I have a problem or a trial, I don't want to handle it myself. I want to take it to Jesus. Both Matthew and Mark give an account of this story from our opening text, and they both end the same way. We know that Jesus winds up casting the devil out. He does just like what the man asked. But it's interesting the parallel between these two accounts. We look at Matthew 17 and 19. It says, Then the disciples, this is after the devil is cast out, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Mark records a little different in Mark 9 and 28. It says, and when he was come into the house, disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. 
Now you could read these and you could say, well, those are two totally different answers. One, in Matthew, puts it on the size of your faith. Mark says it's about prayer and fasting. I submit to you what Jesus said in the complete view was it doesn't matter the size of your faith. You've just got to do something. It doesn't matter how, oh, I don't have a lot of faith. I haven't been living for God that long. It doesn't matter. Begin to pray and fast about it. I've lived for God for 40 years. Well, it doesn't matter. You need to pray and fast. It doesn't matter the size of your faith. It matters what you do with it. What good is faith in God if it doesn't change us, if it doesn't deliver us, if it doesn't direct us? God help me not to have an agnostic spirit that says, I'll do it on my own. I'll put my problem away. I'll handle it. God help us to have a desire to give it to you. Doesn't matter the size of your faith. Matters if you act on it. James 2 and 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Works is ergon, is an act, the deed, the product. So let me put this verse for you in the ETV. That's the East Tennessee version. What good is it? For someone to say that they have faith, but they don't have any actions, they don't have any products, there's no proof of their faith. Can faith alone save them? The answer to this question is just a couple of verses down in James 2 and 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it doth, does not have works, is dead. What good is faith if it doesn't have any action behind it? You see, this is the problem, again, where the denominal world gets so off track. And I'm not trying to, to give them down the road. Just we have to be realistic that I can't just simply believe in Jesus. My belief in Jesus has got to make me do something. What good is a religion that doesn't cause me to change? Why do I need a religion that lets me just be the way that I've always been? I want a faith that changes my life. I want a faith that says, you know what? There's some places I shouldn't go anymore. I want a faith that says, there's some music I shouldn't listen to anymore. God, give us a faith to say in everything, I'm going to give it to you. And whatever you anoint, I'll use. And what you don't, I'll let go of. God, I don't want to have agnostic faith. Because really, that's what agnosticism is. Is dead faith. I believe that there could be a God, but it's not going to change or alter my life. It's really a sad way to be. It's really a sad way to be. To believe in a God that doesn't change you. To believe in a God that doesn't affect your life. I love what was said this week. Brother Hammond said, I wasn't comfortable in church. Why do we want people to be comfortable? I want our church to be inviting. I want our church to be welcoming. But I don't want them to feel like everybody here is just like me. There ought to be some distinction. The difference is we're not exclusive. We want everybody to live this way. We don't measure up and see if you might have a chance. No, all you've got to say is, God, I've messed up. Help me, Lord. Direct me. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, bury me in your name in water. And God will come down and fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And change your life. We believe the Bible says. We believe it when the Bible says that you're to be born of the water and the Spirit. We believe it. I don't even understand. I've had people that have come to our church and they want to argue with me about doctrine. I'm not going to argue with them. Because what does the Bible say? Then that's what I'm going to do. Your philosophy really doesn't even matter. My philosophy doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? The Bible says you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. That's good enough for me. Who am I to try to tell God what he really meant to say was? And we know when we do this, because our, that we will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because when we act on our faith, it moves God to respond. 
You ever think like that? What you do moves God? We're so busy wanting God to move us, we don't ever spend any time asking God to move. Lord, just lead me and guide me. He said, just pray and seek, and it'll, you'll, 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 you'll get there. I'll, I'll come and I'll, I'll speak to you. When we move, when we act on our faith, it moves God. Because when we do what we can do, God does what only he can do. We're, we're so busy. God, speak to my heart. But we don't ever stop talking long enough to let God talk. So I was talking to somebody this morning about Samuel, my youngest, and I said, he'll, he'll talk as long as you listen. And then he'll just keep talking. That's why we treat God sometimes. We're so busy with a list of demands. You see, that, that both of these are wrong because sometimes we won't give anything to God. And sometimes all we do is give God demands. Like a hostage negotiator, we, or hostage taker. We, Lord, you want my praise, you're going to have to meet X, Y, and Z. What if we change that to just say, Lord, let your spirit guide me. Lord, take away my want and my will and my desire and give me yours. Because agnostics don't believe that the will of God is good for them or good enough for them. I want what God wants in my life. I tell our new converts, quit asking for things to go your way. Just say, Lord, whatever you want in my life, make that be what I want. I don't want to have to have a battle between my will and God's will. I just want whatever he wants to be natural to what comes out of me. I just want it to just be natural. So I want to ask you the same, a question. It's the same question that James asked the church in James 2 and 20. Again, this is from the Amplified. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish and spiritually shallow person, that faith without good works is useless? It's dead. It's of no value. Now, all y'all going to say, the preacher called me foolish. No. We have got to be cognizant. Because it's just like the scripture that says, if we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. What good is it living a life that we've dedicated to God if we don't ever trust God to direct it? If we don't ever trust God to work in it? See, real, true, authentic faith is more than just believing in the existence of God. It's acting like you believe. And I can prove it. Hebrews 11 and 1, now faith is the assurance, the title, the deed, or the confirmation of things hoped for. It is divinely guaranteed. It is the evidence of things that are not not seen, but the conviction of their reality. Because faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. What are you saying? What I'm saying is when we ask God for something, We ought to just live like it's already done. We ought to just believe, well, God's already moved in that area. I can move on to the next. God's working on it. Sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says not yet. But you'll never find out unless you go to him and say, Lord, here is my petition. Lord, here is my need. Here is my problem. For by this kind of faith, the men of old gained divine approval. See, there's different kinds of faith. There's a faith that in the existence of something, there's faith in the existence of something, but that faith does not alter us. That's passive faith. Then there's active faith, and this is what changes us. Hebrews 11 and 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which it was testified of him that he was righteous, upright or in right standing with God, And God testified by accepting his gifts. And though he died, yet through this act of faith, he still speaks. Cain was agnostic. He believed God existed. He just didn't believe enough to do what God told him to do. He believed that God existed because he, who was he giving an offering to? Who was he giving a sacrifice to if it wasn't? So he believed in God. He just didn't believe enough to do what God said. How many would be honest with themselves 
today and say there's been times in our lives that we believed God. We just didn't believe enough to do what he said. How many of us would be real honest and say maybe there's some things right now that we've been struggling with over the last few weeks or months that, that God's been dealing with our heart, but, but maybe I just am not quite ready to let go of it just yet. Maybe I'm not quite ready to start. We talk a lot about what we got to stop doing. There's some things we ought to start doing. Told our church the other day that there's going to be a revival of the word in our church, and, and I don't believe you all struggle with this. It's just I know that we struggle with this across Pentecost. There used to be a, world, a word that we used a lot, worldly. We don't talk about it. We've got a generation that wants everything. If you can't show me in Scripture that I can't do it, then I don't know why I can't do it. There's some things that are not pro prohibited in Scripture. They're just worldly. we got no business being involved in them. There's just some things that are worldly, and I can't be godly and worldly. I've got to have some kind of... Cain was agnostic. He, was, he had a worldly view of God. I'll do whatever I want to do. And God will like it or leave it. Well, that didn't really work out real well for him. See, Abel, he had real faith. He had active faith. He had the kind of faith that said, God, whatever you want, whatever you require, I'm all in with my whole heart. You see, apostolic agnosticism is born out of a half-committed heart. You can only live for God halfway, half the time. You can't live for God all the time, halfway. You've got to be all in, all the time. You know where that starts? It's not in this altar shouting. You, you, you can shout in this altar until the cows come home. But you know what happens when you go out that door? Life. And you know where you'll overcome? Life is in your mind. you got to commit your mind that I'm going to live this way. I'm going to live this way with my whole heart, with my whole life. I'll tell you a quick story. When we started the church, we had seven people our first service that I knew that we'd be back. I think we had 40 our first service, and 33 of those was not coming back. They went to other churches and they were family and, and well-wishers. And six months after we started the church, the family walked in the door and I thought, well, we'll find out if I got what it takes or not. This man walks in, he's bigger than I am and that's saying something. And he looks like he is just mad at the world. He looks like he's ready to snap at any time. And I wasn't intimidated by him physically, but I did think, well, he doesn't want to be here. I'm not in the habit of convincing people to stay that don't want to be, so this is probably his first and last service. This would probably be a, a one and done kind of thing. And he came and he stood there in the, in the pew and wept through the whole service. I thought, well, praise God for that. I'm glad he came and we can say we had a visitor and we won't see him again. He come back the next week. And uh, he'd been coming there about three months. And he called me one day and he said, hey, I, I want you to know, I want you to be my pastor. I thought, I don't think you have any idea of what that means. And uh, he, he had been in church his whole life. He'd gone to church his whole life. And I thought, well, that, you have no idea what you're asking for, son, but we'll see. He said, no means no and yes means yes. I thought, well, that's easy to say. He said, whatever you tell me and my family, that's what it is. We're going to be pillars in this church. And when you're six months old, you think, thank God, finally, we need some pillars. We, we can use all them we got. We're just trying to get a foundation. We even made it to pillars. Thank God for them. And I watched as that man would come week after week after week. And weep and weep and weep and weep. And a family that had been in church their whole lives, but had never lived for God. Weep, weep, weep first person we prayed through to the Holy Ghost was his son. He was about eight years old at the time. And we prayed him through. God filled him with the Holy Ghost in a hotel room. We baptized his, his son, oldest son and his oldest daughter just a few weeks after that. 
God renewed his wife for the Holy Ghost. She had had the Holy Ghost and renewed her. And I'll never forget, man, they, they, you could just feel the tension. I'll never forget, we went to Maryville for a family weekend. We took our church up there and I remember the whole service, I just couldn't have peace about just, just something just didn't sit right in my spirit. And the man of God preached a tremendous message and we had the altar service and the altar service passed and I looked over and Brother Carpenter was standing on the top step of the platform so he could talk into this man's ear because he's so, he's so big. And I remember just a few moments later looking over and that man's praying through to the Holy Ghost right there. Thank God for that. Amen. Absolutely. But that was just the beginning because then he found out what it was really going to take to be all in. He told me, he said, I had made up my mind that I like you, that I love you, and I'm your friend. But if I didn't get the Holy Ghost that Sunday, I was never coming back. He said, I, I walked in those doors and I told God, if you're real, if you really want the Holy Ghost is really for me, you'll give it to me today. Or I'm never coming back. I can be his friend and not go to his church. How many of us have had situations that we give God an ultimatum in? Only to find out the real sacrifice doesn't begin until after that. God filled him with the Holy Ghost and then the work began and time after time after time after time he had opportunity and excuses that honestly I would have expected him to walk away instead of deal with. I, I would have expected that fully because there's no way I'd want to deal with them. I didn't want to deal with them as a pastor. But you know what? After every meeting we had, he'd tell me, Pastor, I'm all in. I'm committed. I told you me and my family are going to be pillars, and we are. And you know why I'm standing here today? Because I got a brother and sister Fife in Cleveland that I'm not going to have to call home and see how did it go. You know what did that? It wasn't an experience that, did, that, that made that happen. That's an experience that opened the door. But it was a mindset that said, I'm in this thing no matter what. I don't care what comes. I'm committed to living this way. Thank God for the gift of the Holy Ghost. But you got to have a made-up mind that says, God, in the good times and in the bad, I'm going to give it all to you. When I can leave and I can walk away, I'm going to recommit. I'm going to rededicate. I'm going to reap my... I want a faith like that. I want a faith that goes down in history. I hate that my friend Bishop Wilson isn't here. I want a that man should be on the Mount Rushmore Pentecost. Dear God. What a man of faith. I want a faith like that. Look what it's produced. I think Zach Hammond can trace his roots in Pentecost to the Mayflower. My God. I want a faith that marks generations of my children if the Lord tarries. But do you know who that starts with? Me. I have to say, God, carve out my heart. I recommit my way. I commit my problems and my plans. To How many times could Bishop Wilson have said, no, it ain't worth it. I'm going to go the other way. But he said, God, I recommit. I repurpose my problems. I give them to you, God. Use them. I want a faith like that. Let me give you a real life example and I'm working to close. In August of 2014, my wife called me. I took her to the ER. She had been begun bleeding for what seemed to be no reason. And having recently had a doctor's appointment in which we were told that a list of health concerns and problems and how many love going to the doctor? Praise God. They full of goodness. They gave a list of problems and issues and they included but were not limited to the fact that she would never be able to have a 
baby. And so I took her to the ER, and after 12 hours in a hospital with no answers and really no communication from the staff, I decided that we were leaving. And as I was encouraging that nurse to do whatever she had to do to let my people go, she said, well, I don't understand. There's nothing wrong with her except that she's pregnant. And we were shocked. Because just a couple of weeks before, we had been told there was no way. It was absolutely impossible. We would never be able to have a baby. There was no way. So we were absolutely just blown away and shocked by the news. We were overjoyed and, and imagined having settled and had peace. We decided we'll adopt. We'll, whatever the will of God is, we're just going to pray and let God work His, what, His, His will. So imagine having gone from peace of that to the absolute epitome of an all-time high of knowing a lifetime desire was going to be fulfilled. The doctor came in and wanted to do an ultrasound. He said, well, this is the next step. We need to look into this and, and, and see that everything is all right. He so bluntly put it, he said, there's absolutely no hope. The baby's ectopic, it's already dead, it's gone. There's no, there's no hope for delivery with his word. No hope. We were devastated. In a matter of moments, we had gone from being at peace to is in God's hands to saying we're going to hold our own baby to being lost in a moment, matter of moments. We had just seen our miracle vanish before our eyes. And so I did the only thing I knew to do. Compelled him to leave and called the man of God. I called Brother Carpenter and we began to pray. And the Spirit of God fell so strong in that hospital room. You could feel the presence of God just so thick. We cried and we wept and we mourned a child that we had found out that we had and lost in a matter of minutes, devastated by what seemed to be the end. The doctor came in and said they were going to send us to the fourth floor for a more detailed ultrasound, and they would decide what happened, that the bleeding was being caused by this ectopic pregnancy, the pregnancy that was wrong. It had formed in the wrong part of the body. So we made our way to the fourth floor of the hospital and after the, after the ultrasound, the lady turned to me, shaking her head. She said, I don't know what's wrong with that doctor, but that baby's perfectly healthy. I, I don't know what's wrong with him. But my God. She said, do you want to hear the heartbeat of a baby that you found out that you had and you found out you lost? You want, yeah, I want to hear the heartbeat. I've come to tell somebody that somewhere between the first and the fourth floor of Erlanger Hospital, God stepped in and moved a miracle and worked on my behalf. You know why? Because I said, God, while I'm upset and while I'm devastated, I commit my problem to you. What would have happened if I'd just taken the word of the doctor and didn't say a thing? There wouldn't be an Eli. God is my salvation. There wouldn't be a boy that's full of life that said he there wouldn't be a child that walks into the school and says, I got the Holy Ghost today. And a teacher that wants to know, well, Eli, what is the Holy Ghost? I'm trying to tell you, don't you give up on your miracle. Don't you give up on your burden. Don't give up on what God called you. If God promised it, he will do it. Just commit it to him. I really believe if we hadn't prayed, if we just said, well, that's what's going to happen, that would have been the end of the story. Because I didn't pray God bring that baby back. I didn't pray that. We just said, God, whatever your will is, let your will be done. Sometimes it's not about having the answer. It's about knowing who does have the answer.
Elisha, God is my salvation. And every time life gets hard, every time there's a new problem, Eli walks through the room and I remember that the story isn't over. That God is my salvation. He's a very present help. I've got to live and move and walk and talk and miracle that lives in my house. And he's a reminder that no matter how bad it is, no matter how dark your day is, that God is still on the throne. So we were told, that's a fluke. It's a fluke. You'll never have another child. No way you can have any more kids. We prayed and we fasted and we said, God, not our will, but yours. I commit this to your hand. So we have Eli, God is my salvation. But we've also got Samuel. God has remembered. Why? I've come to tell you that God will hear your cry and God will hear your plea and God remembers your cry in the darkest night. Just commit to him. Just give it all to him. Lay it all at his feet and God will remember. Do we stand all across this place? When you overcome your unbelief, God will remember your faith. We, we pray and we, we can pray for anybody else. But how many would be real honest that they've walked in here today needing a touch from God? Can we just talk to him for a moment? I feel the Holy Ghost. Maybe you've got a promise from God that he laid on your heart years ago. Maybe it was weeks ago. Maybe it was the NYC, but... I believe there's some people in this place. He under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. There's some people in this place. You've given up on a peaceful home. You've given up on hope and joy. You've given up. I believe God can do it for somebody else, but I don't know that He can do it for me. I've come to tell you, God has sent a man of God this way to tell you God loves you enough to do it for you. God loves you enough to move in your life. It's not doing. It's not over. It's not finished. Oh, can we all across this place, can we lift up our hands and open up our hearts to God? Come in this altar. This altar is open. God, I need you. What do you need a touch from God for? It might be in your mind. We live in an age where there's a war for the mind because your mind is what will keep you. Having a made-up mind will lead you all the way to glory. I've got to have a renewal of the mind. God restoring me a right heart. I recommit my life. I recommit my will, God. I'll go where you send me. I'll do what my pastor needs, God. Lead me, God. I commit my life. Lord, I commit it all to you. I trust you with my problems. I trust you with my prayers. I trust you with my promises. Lord, I need you, God. Lord, I need your touch.
point he would make would remind me of something that some of you have told me in the last few days and weeks. And he'd preach a little bit longer. And he'd make a point. And he'd remind me of something that somebody else told me just in the last few days and weeks. And then he'd preach a little bit more. And he'd make a point. And he'd remind me of something else that somebody in this room talked to me about. You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you at one point this morning? Well, let's, let's do a hand raise. How many at some point in this message this morning you thought, God, he's talking right to me? Look around. God knows. God knows. And if God knows, and God sends a man of God to preach about it, doesn't that mean that God's probably got a plan? already in action, already made, just waiting to get it started. You know what this altar service is right now? This is not this is not the end of your trouble. This is the beginning of your breakthrough. Because when the word comes, faith comes by hearing. And then when hearing happens, then faith is enacted. And when faith happens, mountains get moved. So this is mountain-moving morning right now. I wish you'd just raise your hand and begin to say, God, I believe what that preacher said. And God, I don't only believe it for that person across the way that raised their hand, and I don't only believe it for that person over there that raised their hand, but God, I believe it for me. I'm going to receive it for me. I'm going to receive it for my family, for my life, for my heart. In the name of Jesus. That's right. I want you just to begin to thank God. I want you just to begin to thank God that He knows the way that you take. And He knows your situation and your circumstance. And I want you just to begin to speak words of faith and thanksgiving as they begin to sing. I want this to be the first step towards your breakthrough. And that comes by thanking God that He spoke a word into your life. In Jesus' name.
why don't you lift your hands all over this place? And why don't you just ask for God to have his way? God, in my life, in my life, I'm giving you, I'm all in. I'm not going to hold back my praise. I'm not going to hold back my life. I'm not going to hold back my prayer. with that hand clap. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't hear your voices, I just hear your hands. But you're made an overcomer by your mouth. You gotta speak the word of faith. You gotta say something. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Something powerful happens when you open your mouth. Because you can clap your hands and, it's, and, and there's no... There's no real acknowledgement. But when you open your mouth, that the word of faith is in your mouth, not in your hands. And so when you open your mouth in praise, what it does is it's a release of faith. That's why a lot of denominations don't see miracles because they want silent religion. You gotta open your mouth. So one more time, clap your hands. And open your mouth and praise him. I love you. It's a word of faith. I trust you, God. I believe you, God. I worship you, God. Hallelujah. Amen. Tonight we're going to have a great service. Be free at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the prayer room. I hope you'll all come by the prayer room and open your mouth and begin to pray. Amen. And here's the mindset I want us to have when we come to church tonight. I want you to come with the mindset that I'm looking for somebody to pray with, somebody to pray for, somebody to bless. I'm coming with somebody. I'm, I'm going to ask God to let me be somebody's answer tonight, somebody's encouragement. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you for what you've done. Lord, we worship.